Hey, I'm Johanna Wagstaff. And hi there, I'm Rohit Joseph. And we're asking for 10 minutes of your day to go through the 10 things that the UN recommends we can all do when it comes to climate change. Please don't leave. No. And also the things (laughs) aren't new. We are just wired to not do them. We promise you to help you figure out your brains and you and your people can make better choices to combat climate change. 10 Minutes to Save the Planet is available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hundreds of thousands of Germans flooded the streets of that country this past Saturday to protest a controversial far-right plan. Earlier that week, reports revealed that right-wing extremists had met to discuss deporting millions of immigrants, and their list included people with German citizenships. Some members of the far-right Alternative for Germany Party, or AFD, were present at that meeting. Hans Pfeiffer is a political correspondent for Deutsche Welle. He reports on the far-right. Hans, hello. Hello. Tell us specifically about this report, and what was it about that meeting that brought so many people out onto the streets of Germany? I think there are two major major parts of this report which made this outcry and this outrage so big. Uh, first of all, is this connection between high-ranking party members of the AFD, uh, together with neo-Nazis and the far-right extremists and also entrepreneurs that were coming together to talk about what they called a master plan for deportation in Germany. And uh, on the other hand, and this is the second major part, we are facing now very important elections in Germany this year. And the AFD was, uh, for the last 10 years, a self-declared opposition party. But now they are grabbing for power and they have uh, chances to win big in some major regional elections. And they even have the chance to um, make their their most influential and most uh, radical, one of their most radical leaders, Björn Höcke, the prime minister of one state in Germany. Tell me more about, about, as you said, this master plan for mass deportations. The details of it are, are quite something. Well, many of the aspects are well known and well established by the party itself and even publicly. So the party is in favor of stopping asylum for Germany. They want to get uh, asylum seekers uh, get back to their home countries and they want to stop asylum in Germany and they are in favor to to push foreigners out of the country so they are pushing heavily on the government. So the the, the part of this master plan is to realize all this discussion, to materialize it and even if it is tough uh, legally nowadays to make it happen. But I think the crucial part is that they were discussing deporting even German citizens, which means like people of color or or migrants or people from families from a migrant background. If they do not fit into what the AFD is labeling as German, that they could be forced out of the country or to be deported. And this is a very crucial part because this remembers many Germans to the violent past of Hitler Germany and the neo-Nazis, where the Nazis had plans to deport Jews to the African island of Madagascar. Hundreds of thousands of people, as I said, were out on the streets protesting. The numbers were enormous. How has the AFD responded to this? There's been a, I mean, the polling has come out already suggesting that there's been a drop of something like 2% in support for the AFD. But how has the party responded to the outrage that so many Germans um, have demonstrated? They clearly have a strategy in uh, in their reaction. So first of all, they are denying 
any unconstitutional plans and they are labeled this gathering as a private uh, gathering not being officially part of party structures they heavily accuse media of setting up a meeting with spy-like actions and they are firing conspiracy theories like all the demonstrators now they are paid by the government government itself is being involved and uh, that uh, this uh, uh, investigation of this media outlet that it was an unlawful action of publishers i think the most important part of the reaction is that they are not in any way defensive in their reaction they heavily and offensively are campaigning in their favor and they are not even denying that they want uh, uh, remigration that's what they call it, mm. their deportation plans. But they're offensively campaigning, yes, that's what we want, remigration. That's how we call it. You mentioned these elections that are looming, and one candidate in particular, Björn Höcke, who yeah. um, the AFD tried to kick out of the party in 2017. He marched with neo-Nazis. He called the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin a national shame. He could now be elected as a state premier, what, as you understand it, what is driving the popularity um, of candidates like him? I think we should not underestimate how well-established racism, far-right ideas, anti-democratic thinking still is in German society. Not only in German societies, we have that, as we can see, obviously, in the U.S. with the uh, with the support for Donald Trump, how many people are attracted by radical ideas. And then there's a lot of research uh, uh, on university level uh, about it, and that proves that there's still quite, it's about 30% of the Germans want to have a strong leader instead of an open society and a, and a, and a, and a complex uh, government. And so these thoughts are still strong. And and many, many, uh, many researchers uh, found out that uh, that they take benefit of uh, of a huge amount of people who were not voting in the past. So they are activating all these uh, all these thoughts in 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 huge parts of the society. We're going to talk more in just a moment about the the spread of the far right more broadly. But in Germany right now, I mean, is there something specific that's happening now that would lead to that surge? Well. It is quite often labeled that all this was triggered by Angela Merkel's migrant policies and by letting uh, hundreds of thousands of refugees, especially from Syria and from Iraq, into Germany. But I think it's a combination of many things. It's uh, What we see now is the consequence of strong historic ties, that there are strong, strong historic roots into racism and the far right. They are highly organized since since long time. There's frustration about actual German politics, but uh, there's even kind of the far right is seeking its moment by uh, international examples like uh, Trump is their example, the mm. Brexit in, in Great Britain is an example. So this all seems to come to back together and combine right at this moment. So you, just finally, we saw, as I mentioned, these enormous protests. But beyond that, what's being done to try to control the reach of parties like this? If there is true alarm within Germany about, about the rise of the far right? Well, there's a lot of discussions about this. Uh, there's one of the most radical ideas would be to ban the party, which is possible by German law, which happened very, very rarely in the past. So only in the last uh, 80 years, around about only three parties have been banned and the hurdles are high by constitution. But there's a discussion about this because the party is 
financed by by taxpayers and uh, so there's a huge discussion about why should like migrants or why should holocaust survivors finance a party that is that radical and this could be well this is a major discussion on the other way many experts say that especially in the rural parts of germany like in the eastern parts in the small villages where the afd has uh, strong support by people that there's not enough uh, done by uh, the federal government or by regional governments to fight these uh, anti-democratic structures and ideas, especially in the rural parts. Mm. Hans, really good to talk to you about this. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me with you. Hans Pfeiffer is a political correspondent for Deutsche Welle who reports on the far right. He was in Berlin. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Germany, as we mentioned, is just one country that has seen a rise in far-right populism. Hard-right parties in Italy, Netherlands, and Sweden have all won big in recent elections, and far-right populists are surging in France and Spain as well. Catherine Fieschi is a visiting fellow at the Robert Schumann Center for Advanced Studies, an expert on populism, authoritarianism, and the far-right. Catherine, hello to you. Hi, great to be here. When you look at the scale of the protests in Germany, how, how significant are they to you? I think the numbers are significant and it's actually, you know, very reassuring that these protests are taking place because a lot of these parties get stronger simply through the illusion that there's a kind of normalization, that they're just another party. And there's far fewer protests in, in a lot of the other European countries who have sort of integrated these parties into their political landscape. You know, it's good that in Germany, people are reminding not just other Germans, but other Europeans, that these parties are not just any other party and that they really need to be combated. How much of this is about history within Germany, the, the, the sheer numbers of people coming out? Because they have seen that movie before, if I can put it that way. Absolutely. You could make the argument that, you know, surely the Italians and to some extent the French, mm -hmm. you know, also have seen uh, a version at least of, of that movie before. But in Germany, this is a bigger taboo. It's such a taboo, in fact, that, you know, there's a constitution, a, a basic law of 1949 in Germany that actually really enshrines the kinds of principles that allow you to ban a party like the AFD, for example. So Germany is a very particular case. Germans have really made an effort to educate generations of German, in a sense, to inoculate them uh, against this. What we're finding is that, you know, as uh, older generations die out, as the memory becomes more distant, it's harder and harder to keep the status of this taboo intact. But the sheer numbers that came out in protest suggest that still, you know, this is a red line that is being crossed in, in Germany. It's harder to resist at this point in Germany because, you know, in Europe, we are being swept up in this sort of great swell of success for far-right parties. And so, you know, there's a kind of legitimation of all of this that is going on right across the continent. 
and that therefore both compels the Germans to 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 march and and protest, but at the same time, you know, is going to encourage parties like the AFD. It's going to encourage their emergence because they can see that there's a dynamic that is pan-European. What's going on there with that dynamic? I mean, part of that speaks to the fact that the AFD was unapologetic in saying that its members attended this meeting where people talked about this mass deportation master plan. But broadly, what's going on? What is driving people um, to support those more populist parties on the far right in Europe? So I think, you know, to some extent, you could say that there are different drivers in different places. It's true that in Germany, um, this is in part a reaction to Merkel's policy during the uh, migration crisis of 2015. But the fact is that if we look at where the support is strongest for the AfD in Germany, this is also remnants of, you know, a largely successful but far from perfect reunification process where, you know, some lender in the East are, uh, still feel more disconnected from uh, from the core of Germany and, you know, standards of living are, are slightly lower and, and so on. I mean, but I I would argue that Europe, you know, altogether has gone through quite a series of crises in, you know, in in the past 10 years, you know, a Eurozone uh, crisis in 2010 to to 12 that particularly affected Italy. Then, um, you know, after that, there was the the migration crisis, there was COVID, um, uh, and then we've had the the crisis in energy and inflation that came because of the Russian aggression uh, against Ukraine. So this, this, this is one crisis after the next that affects you know, countries differently. But what I think they contribute to and the reason I think they feed this dynamic is that they contribute to this populist narrative, which is that mainstream parties and mainstream governments are not good at protecting their citizens. You've said that the far right in some corners is now seen as a reasonable vote. What do you mean by that? Well, much as you said, where, you know, the IFD comes out as offensive and unapologetic <clears throat> in other places, for example, in, in, in France, Marine Le Pen's party, uh, the Rassemblement National, now has 88 MPs. Now, 88 MPs is a significant uh, number in the French National Assembly, and you can no longer dismiss the result of this vote as just the vote, uh, you know, of, of marginal voters or of um, of people who are outside of, of the mainstream. Increasingly, they are um, becoming a completely credible uh, alternative. That doesn't mean that they're a good alternative. But they're normalized they, in some ways. But they are normalized. And they have gone out of their way to achieve that normalization. Yeah. Marine Le Pen's party is a, is a real case in point. They work really, really hard to make sure that, you know, certainly in public, um, in public fora, they say things that are definitely on the right of the spectrum, but that, you know, you could not label uh, Nazi or fascist or, or even extreme right. And I think that um, in that respect, what's really important to keep in mind is the effect that these parties have had on the on the so-called mainstream right. You know, they because of the the far right and populist right. Uh, normalization and the growth in their vote, parties of the once center-right have also moved mm. very far to the right. And you can see this in the um, 
you know, in the report that your previous contributor submitted, you know, two of the people who were at that um, that conference or gathering that, you know, that he documented um, are people from the center-right, you know, Christian Democratic Party, from the CDU. Mm. So there's a, there's a slide to the right from the center. Just, we're just about out of time, but what do you do about this? I mean, can opposition parties reach those voters? There's, there's talk of, of defunding the, the parties on the far right. What, what has to happen to bring that into check, if I can put it that way? Germany is a specific case in terms of being able to ban a party if they want to. I'm not entirely sure that that's the most uh, useful thing to do. These parties are very good at calling out conspiracies, as we've seen them do, and they are very, very good at migrating to underground channels. So I don't think that it's the way forward. Certainly not in the rest of Europe. It's too late. I also think that many of the voters for these parties are people who have tried voting for a lot of other parties and feel completely abandoned. They feel they have no real relationship to politics. I think one of the key things that uh, mainstream parties need to do, they need to redevelop the capacity to have a politics that isn't simply about technocracy, that isn't simply technical fixes. People need to feel that there's an emotional pull because this is what the far right draw upon, a kind of closer relationship with the voters. We're like you. We understand you. You know, and on the other side, we have often very competent politicians, but who come across as very focused on technical fixes that feel too complex for the layperson to understand. And also basic things like making sure that public services are equally available, you know, across the different regions in most European countries. You certainly can't ignore them, though. No, you certainly can't ignore them. And you can't, even though it's very, very difficult to talk about some of the topics that that they focus on, principally immigration. Mm. It's a very tricky topic to, to tackle publicly from mainstream parties. We can't avoid, and mainstream politicians can't avoid talking about what is, for some people, their number one priority. That's the best way of encouraging them to think that really they're not being heard. I'm grateful to talk to you about this, Catherine. Thank you very much. Very grateful to talk to you. Bye-bye. Catherine Fieschi is a visiting fellow at the Robert Schumann Center for Advanced Studies and an expert on populism, authoritarianism, and the far right, she was in Paris. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.